If you would, please turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 20. Today we're going to read verses 7 through 12. 7 through 12. We're going to see the story of the first person to fall asleep in church. You know, you were not the first. There was one before you, and his name was Eutychus. He will always be remembered as the first person to fall asleep in church. And my plan today is to briefly recount his story and then give three takeaways that we find in the text. So let's pray and then read it together. Father God, I ask that as we read this narrative about a boy who falls asleep listening to the Apostle Paul, and that we would be awake, not only awake physically, but we would be awake spiritually, that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see what you might have for us. I ask that the gospel would not be veiled by the world, but that we would be able to see and behold the glories of the gospel in your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. Acts 27 through 12. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There are many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at a window sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But when Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a while, a a long while, until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. So Paul is back in Troas. He'd been here before back in Acts 16. I don't know if you remember. He's forced there. He's not allowed to go south towards Ephesus. He's forced to Troas. And that's where he has the dream of the Macedonian man. He has this vision of a man in Macedonia saying, Please, Paul, come to us and help us. And so Paul answers that call and sails across to Macedonia, and his first stop was in Philippi. Well, now Paul is 
back in Troas. He's reunited with his traveling companions that we looked at a couple weeks ago in verses 4 through 6. They'd gone ahead of him, and once they're reunited, they spend a full week there in Troas. And our passage picks up Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, with Paul planning to leave the next morning. Monday morning, he's headed for Jerusalem. And so before he leaves, he wants to worship with these saints. He wants to break bread with them. He wants to go to the Lord's table. He wants to preach and instruct them and converse with them. And he wants to get in as much as possible before he has to leave in the morning. He knows there's a good shot. He's probably never going to see these people again in this life. We'll see him say something similar later in the chapter to the Ephesian elders. He'll say, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I know that persecution is waiting for me, and I know that I'll probably never see your faces again. That's Paul's current mindset. And so with these saints in Troas, he knows he probably will never see them again in this life. This is, this is a time of farewell, which is why they're going to burn the midnight oil and stay up all night. So those are the circumstances. Well, the event took place in a large home. The saints gathered there to listen to Paul. We're told that this meeting took place on the third story, which is an important detail. And uh, though Luke isn't clear what time of day this gathering began, we know that uh, it will be interrupted a little after midnight. So Paul just keeps going on and on. It's like, that might be your worst nightmare. I say, this is my closing point. And then 15 minutes later, I say, this is my closing point. And then 15 minutes later, this is my closing. That's what's happening This third story room is filled with people. We're told there were many torches, there were many lamps. These lamps were, of course, torches. This was their source of light, and many torches probably means there were many people. So you have this large group of people gathered late at night in a three-story room to listen to Paul for the last time. And one of those people was a boy named Eutychus. Luke tells us that he was a young man. In the Greek, that word refers to a boy between the, edge, uh, between the ages of 8 and 14. So I was thinking about our, our group. Sam, you'd probably be in that group. Um, Oliver would be in that group. Grayson, how old are you? 11. 11 yep, you're in that group. All right, so that's, that's your visual, okay? A young boy between the ages of 8 and 14. And also his name. His name means lucky one or fortunate one. So you've got a boy named Lucky, 8 to 14 years old. He's there sitting by a window, probably trying to get some fresh air. It's late at night. Everyone's listening to Paul. It's got to be warm from all that body heat and all those torches in the room. The 
the flames are dancing, doing their hypnotic work. You know, we can just stare endlessly at a fire. And you know what happens. It's not surprising at all. Eutychus falls asleep. Now, people like to give Eutychus a hard time about this. They'll say things like, well, you know, that's what you get for being careless and not listening to Paul. You better stay awake or something bad might happen to you. Let this text be a warning to you of Eutychus' tragic mistake. People give this kid the hardest time. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, and I'll tell you why. He was trying to stay awake. Luke tells us that he was overcome by sleep. He's trying to listen to Paul, but it's late. And he fights it, and eventually he's overpowered. I think every person in this room who has a driver's license knows how tough it can be late at night when you're driving to fight off sleep. And there are lots of different ways in which we do this. Maybe you roll down your windows just to have cold air blowing on you. Or you turn the music up really loud. Or you stop to get a snack or some caffeine. Something, anything that'll keep you awake. This kid is fighting sleep. Maybe he goes to the window hoping that some cool, moving air might refresh him. But Paul goes on past midnight. And uh, he starts to lean towards that open window more and more and more until he's gone. And the people sitting Next to him, here's something. They look and they see him sliding out the window. And there's a scream and then his body smacks the hard ground. And the room had to be thrown into pandemonium. People are yelling, asking, what happened? Who was it? Is he okay? And they run downstairs and they find the boy's lifeless body lying on the pavement. Now, I looked into this about how far someone has to fall for it to be fatal. It's scary. Now, there are some weird instances. You'll find stories about someone who jumped out of a plane and their parachute failed and they hit the ground and and survived. You'll find those. You'll also find stories about people who fall six feet off a ladder and die. Um, it, It really is astounding how low you can be and fall and be seriously injured. It doesn't take much. Well, Eutychus dies from this fall. And everyone runs down to him. They pick up his body, carry him inside, lay him on a couch or bed. And just as quickly as he dies, he's healed. Luke doesn't give us any details. He just says, but Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. 
Now, some critics will say, well, I mean, he never died. Obviously, he never died. That's not what Paul is saying. Luke is clear in verse 9 that Eutychus is dead. But Paul says, do not be alarmed. His life has returned and is now in him. He, he stoops down over this boy, holds him in his arms, prays over him, and the boy's life returns. And then Paul goes back upstairs and has something to eat and drink. He's refreshed, and then he continues talking with the people until the sun comes up, and then he leaves for Jerusalem. And Eutychus is taken away alive, and the people were not a little comforted. It's kind of a funny way of saying it. Not a little comforted means greatly comforted. So what do we do with this narrative? Again, some will point you to this text and say, be warned. Look at the consequences of Eutychus' laxity and lack of vigilance. Be warned, O people. Don't fall asleep during my sermon or you don't, you don't know what might happen to you. You'll be relieved. I'm not going to take that route. I actually was going to take a bit of a similar route, a softer route, and I was talking through it with Molly, and Molly had some helpful thoughts and redirected me to some more helpful takeaways. So you're welcome. You aren't getting a brow beating this morning about sleeping in church. There are three takeaways I'd like to point out, takeaways that I think are helpful and will speak to our hearts. The first one is that our flesh is weak. What do we see in this narrative? We see a boy somewhere between the ages of 8 and 14 trying to stay up with the adults and listen to Paul. This man he admires and he's never going to see again. But he just can't stay awake. I've had I've heard some stories from some of you doctors talk about residency or other times when you're having to survive on no sleep. Eutychus can't do that. He can't. He's he's too weak. And again, maybe I'm wrong. I don't see him misbehaving. I don't see him being sinful or foolish. I just see a kid who loses the battle to stay awake. It gets late. He gets tired. And eventually, he's overcome. And we're reminded that as human beings, our flesh is weak. That statement about the flesh being weak, of course, reminds me of another instance where someone is sleeping. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus takes Peter and James and John with him. And he says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me, pray with me. And three times Jesus 
goes off to pray by himself. And three times he returns to find these men sleeping, not praying for him. And what does he say? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now we could have some discussion on what that temptation would be that Jesus is speaking of. I guess you could say it was the temptation to give in to sleep and be unavailable to pray with Jesus and to pray for Jesus and not being available to support him and comfort him in this time of grief and sorrow. Spirit was willing. I mean, Eutychus is there. He could have gone home, could have gone to bed. He, he stayed. Peter was willing. He says, Jesus, I will not deny you. I will go to jail for you. I will die with you. And all Jesus needed was for Peter and James and John to stay awake. And they couldn't do it. Because the flesh is weak. I mean, have you fallen asleep praying? Maybe dozed off in a worship service. You sit down to read your Bible and you struggle because your mind is pulled in ten different directions and you're reminded, right then, you're reminded of all the other things you have to do that day. You commit to do something and have every intention of doing it, but, but don't. Maybe you start a new morning devotion or you start a a read the Bible in a year plan and you think this is the year. And then you fall off. Our flesh is weak. And yet our hope as Christians is not in the strength of our flesh. Our hope is not in our willpower and our strength, and our ability to finish what we've started. Our hope isn't that we're never distracted in worship and that we never fall asleep when we're praying. Our hope is in the one who stayed awake and walked alone in the garden. Our hope is in the one whose spirit raised this young man from the dead. Our flesh is weak, but our confidence is not in our flesh. Our confidence is in him. What do the scriptures say? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What are you placing your confidence in? In the strength of your heart? In your own steadfastness? In the strength of your spouse? In the strength of your parents? In your children? Your employer? Brothers and sisters, all those people may fail but God is the strength of our hearts and our portion forever.
your strength and your salvation are not found in you. They are found in him. And so I would plead for all of us this morning that we would again look to Christ and confess that he alone is our strength and our righteousness and our hope for the future. We better hope in him because our flesh is weak. Second takeaway. Since our flesh is weak, and since we want to take Jesus' words seriously, the words I just read, watch and pray that you may not fall into temptation. Because of that, we must help one another. We must help our brothers and sisters in Christ. Eutychus could have used someone that night, someone who was watching over him, someone who would have noticed his head nodding and his body slowly leaning towards an open window. He was in a room full of people, but there was no shoulder for this young man to rest his head. And so he fell backwards out the window. Our flesh is weak and we need one another. I need you and you need me. We need the church to be the church. We need to help and encourage one another when we're weary. We need to come alongside one another and bear each other up. I was reminded of a scene in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Again, if you have not read Pilgrim's Progress, read it. And if you're not great with older English, you can get a modern version, but get it and read it. It is so good. There's this scene that comes near the end of their journey. There are the two men, Christian and Hopeful. They're nearing the end of their journey, and they come to a place called the Enchanted Ground. And Bunyan wrote that it was a place whose air naturally tended to make one drowsy. And as they enter this land, Hopeful began battling with sleep. All he wanted to do was lie down and take a nap. But Christian, his companion, won't let him. Christian says, no, we have to keep going. Don't you remember the warning the shepherds gave us? We are not to sleep. We have to be watchful and sober. And so Hopeful says, you're right, brother. I was wrong. Praise God. I was not here by myself or else I would have fallen under the spell of this land. So what do they do? They talk with one another. They talk about the Lord. They talk about how they came to faith. They talk about their journey and their experience that has led them up to this point. They sing together. They strengthen one another. And I love that picture because Bunyan knew that a time will come when you and I are tempted to slumber spiritually. When we will be spiritually lethargic and complacent and morally relaxed. It might be a time of peace where we feel that we can indulge some inaction. 
And like Hopeful and Eutychus, we feel pulled towards spiritual sleep. And you will need your brothers and sisters in Christ to help you walk and keep you going. Here's a quote from a commentary I've got on Pilgrim's Progress. When life is comfortable and religion becomes rote, we can grow complacent and careless in our walk with God. We can settle in and grow too comfortable in our faith. Our worship loses its wonder and becomes too routine. We go to church week after week. We experience the same thing. And we begin to think, I've heard that before. And so we don't listen as intently. We don't sing as loudly. We stop paying attention to the words spoken. We grow too familiar with the content and form of worship. And we tune out. Our minds wonder and spiritual sleep overtakes us. We come week after week to feed on God's word, but fail to taste and see that the Lord is good. There is a description of the enchanted ground for you. And if it doesn't sound familiar, I promise one day it will. The longer you walk with the Lord, there is always the danger of spiritual fatigue. There's a temptation that lies near the end of the journey to grow sleepy. And so we need each other. We need fellow disciples. You know, we can read books on discipleship and read different teachings and strategies on discipleship, but this Pilgrim's Progress commentary gives a great definition. The author writes, Discipleship involves helping and encouraging others and letting others help and encourage us. It involves investing time with others, rejoicing in truth with others, sharing testimony of God's goodness with one another. Discipleship is the means of grace whereby God keeps the gospel new and fresh in our hearts. It is the means whereby new believers are taught to cherish and walk in faith. And it is the means whereby mature believers are heartened to continue cherishing and walking in the faith. We are to pursue that kind of discipleship together, helping and encouraging one another. Our God has graciously insisted that we not make our journey to the celestial city alone, but we're to walk together and watch over our hearts and watch over the hearts of our brothers and sisters. So we need each other. Third takeaway, we have before us a reminder of resurrection. We don't need to leave out that detail. Luke tells us of a boy who is killed, maybe because of a broken neck or blunt force trauma to the head, but he dies. 
And then by the power of God, he is brought back to life. I would remind you that the doctrine of resurrection is absolutely essential to the Christian faith. We believe that the Lord Jesus rose from the grave. And we believe that one day our bodies and the bodies of those who have gone before us will be raised also. We confess this in our creeds. How does the Apostles' Creed end? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. We believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And without it, our Christian faith is worthless. I want to end this sermon by reminding you that in Eutychus, we have a picture of what is coming. Yes, our flesh is weak. Yes, we need one another, but that is not all. One day, Christ will raise us all up from the grave. He will take us away alive, and we will not be a little comforted. I want to end with a quote from James Montgomery Boyce. Paul was not going to see these believers again. This is a farewell scene. Maybe the story of Eutychus is a picture of our future reunion after physical death. If it is, then it is a picture from which we can take heart. We are alive now. And we are with other believers. But death will come. And with death, a parting. If this life were all there is, that would be the end. But it is not the end. Because there is a resurrection. And we will meet again. The ending is never bad for Christians. The God who began a good work in us keeps on perfecting it until the day of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, uh, there are so many different things that we could pull out of this passage. So many different ways in which we could be edified and built up. But I do ask that as we leave this place, we would remember that our confidence is not in ourself and our strength and our ability, but in the Lord Jesus. And that knowing our weakness and the weakness of our brothers and sisters, we would be quick and vigilant to watch over and help one another. And that we would do so not simply just trying to you know, do the right thing or be helpful but that we would do so knowing that we have a hope beyond this life. We have a hope knowing that there is nothing in this world that can separate us from you, from your love, nothing that can snatch us out of your hand. And that we have a Lord who has defeated death and risen from the grave. And he will bring us also to be with him. Father, may these 
truths be written indelibly upon our hearts so that we might give you glory and love our brothers and sisters well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.